0: Welcome to Vita Poetica Journal's podcast, where an online journal featuring creative work explored through a spiritual lens and a publication of the Vita Poetica Arts and Faith Collective. Today on the podcast, our interviews editor, Emily Chambers Sharp, speaks with dancer Emily Wright about dance as a heightened form of attention, a practice of cultivating awareness, and a vehicle for making meaning and creating together. Emily Wright also contributed a contemplative practice to our Autumn 2021 issue. Her Moving Meditation can be found online, accompanied by a video where Emily invites us to contemplative practice and creative exploration through the moving body, and we'll be featuring that meditation on our podcast next week. Emily Wright is based in Charlottesville, Virginia, where she's a dancer, movement educator, and an author with a passion for the transformative power of dance. She offers an online and in-person movement medicine class that blends yoga, dance, and contemplation. You can find out more about Emily, including information about her classes, on her website, emilywrightdance.com, which is also linked to in our show notes. Now here's our conversation with Emily Wright. Well,
1: Emily, welcome. Um, This is Emily Wright. She is an artist all around who um, uses many different mediums to explore her interests. In particular, she describes herself as someone with a passion for the transformative power of dance. And she has a new book out um, through Intellect Books. And the book is called Dancing to Transform, How Concert Dance Becomes Religious in American Christianity. Um, Welcome, Emily. Thank you. And I'm Emily chambers Sharp with Vita Poetica. Your book, you know, uses the title about dancing to transform. Your bio talks about um, transformation and your passion for the ways that dance works on that. So I would love it if you could share more about how dance has transformed you and what really sparks that passion for dance.
2: Hmm, what an interesting question. Well, I think that... um... Dance um, and religion are both have been vehicles for me to um, to transform me, um, but also to transform how I um, see the world around me and how I engage with other people. And one of the things that I talk about in the introduction to my book is that as a child, I was really drawn to. Um, very strict codified forms of dance and also very clear black and white um, religious traditions because my own home life was really chaotic religion, um, a a kind of a container um, that enabled me to um, feel a sense of um, understanding expectations and being able to learn about the world. It also put me in contact with other safe adults um, and really kind of started me on my path to discovery, um, I then talk about how that container eventually became pretty, um, confining. I outgrew that container, but, um, it certainly was something that enabled me to, um, not only survive, but also to attempt to grow and thrive in a really challenging environment. Mm.
1: Wow. That's quite a story. And, um, Mm -hmm. It seems like you had a big task ahead of you to take both your personal story and weave it into what seems like maybe if, if I'm reading this correctly, almost like a history as well as a commentary mm-hmm. on history. What was that like? And how, how did that creative process come together for you?
2: Well, um, the research topic was very personally motivated and I, I really went into it. Um, because of my own personal experiences and trying to make sense of the, um, the both the positive and the challenging experiences that I'd had in the worlds of dance and Christianity. And there's a form of um, academic inquiry called autoethnography. So it's uh, and, and there are um, various levels uh, that you can put yourself in in terms of how much you are the subject of your own research. So I wouldn't say that this work is pure autoethnography, but I did use some autoethnographic elements to kind of bring in not only my story and my own subjectivity, but in particular, my own bodily experience of Mm -hmm. these different worlds. Because one of the things that dance studies as a discipline argues is that the the body is a source of knowledge um, and the body is able to produce and reflect and resist knowledge in the same way that written words are. Um, So having those bodily experiences represented in the text through my own um, memories um, and my own subjective um, experience of things was really an important part of of how I was um, knitting together all those different pieces. Yeah, I
1: I would love it if you could say more about mm-hmm. how as a bodily experience um, and a creative experience, dance may sort of enhance but may also come into conflict with. Um, especially when you think of Christianity and like a big word. I mean, Christianity mm-hmm. is a big word, right? And it has mm-hmm. a broad um, meaning. So I'd be really interested to hear if you could explore with us and maybe for us a little bit, how how dance is complementary to you and may have some tension with those ideas.
2: Sure, well, so one of the first things that I do is I provide a, a definition for dance that is very broad. And I think that is one of the challenges that often comes up for people when they're trying to think about how these two forms reconcile, because one seems to be very text-based and very much about um, beliefs and ideas, and the other seems to be about the body and movement and how are those two things um, similar in any way. So the definition that I use comes from uh, the work of one of my mentors, Kimmer Lamote, who talks about dance as um, a process of bodily becoming. Hmm that involves the um, sensing and responding to movement patterns. Um, And that as you sense and respond in your own bodily system to patterns, impulses um, within yourself, within the world around you, what you see others doing, you continue to kind of like create um, essentially your ideas and thoughts about that. So there's this mutually informing experience that happens around the physical experience and the cognitive or intellectual experience. Mm. Um, So I I use this definition of dance um, as movement patterns, as a a process of bodily becoming. So then it really can encompass a lot of things that, and I even say this in the book, like some of the Christian dancers that I talk about in the text might not necessarily consider some of the movements that I talk about dance. Um, For instance, uh, I have a couple chapters where I trace Uh, uh, A limited history of Christianity from inception. And then when I get into, um, you know, more uh, Catholicism, I focus on Roman Catholicism and then Um, in the Protestant Reformation. I shift to Protestantism and then I bring it to American Christianity because that's where I'm tracing towards. But I look at these different kinds of movement practices that happen. And so processions, um, Mm -hmm. I analyze that as a particular kind of dance. Movement patterns that teach us how we are to orient ourselves to the divine and how we are to experience ourselves in relationship to the divine. Pilgrimage is another one. These patterns of Walking and forward propulsion—the sense of spirituality as a journey. So, if you are able to like create a broad umbrella, then you can talk about these movement patterns that everyone that has a body is moving through in some way. We're we're all always moving through patterns. You really cannot escape that as a a part of the human experience, no matter what your bodily limitations are, movement is there. If there is no movement, there is no life um, because breath is is movement. Um, But then you can also talk about the highly stylized and choreographed forms that go all the way to the concert stage.
1: Yeah, wow. I think that's really fascinating and creates so much space
2: for this type of
1: expression. And it's really beautiful. I know um, it's something that I myself find very interesting. And um, I think I've seen it more through having children how Mm -hmm. a thing like kneeling or bringing your hands together, right, is a body movement, but it brings you into your body in a way and, like, gives Mm -hmm. you a foot, you know, like, or positions you if you're kneeling, right? Um mm-hmm. so it's really interesting to hear you talk about these ideas as um sort of more open for all of us i think to be um mm-hmm. exposed to dance in our lives whether we would consider ourselves dancers.
2: Mhm. Absolutely yeah and i'm hoping that people that read you know the book is definitely geared for people that are in the field of dance and that are interested in in dance but i am hoping that um that any person could come to the text and find something that would connect to their own life. Even if it's just the question of um, what are the movement patterns that I engage in that help me feel connected to, to God or, uh, or the, the earth or a community? You know, what are these things that connect me to something that's larger than myself? And how can I continue to expand and deepen those patterns and then conversely, what are the patterns that I participate in that perhaps um, create disconnection or or move me in ways that contract me in some way or separate me in some way? Mm. And so how so? It's it's really about um, in some ways just a practice of cultivating attention, a, an awareness of the patterns that we're already moving in, and then expanding them or extrapolating on them in some way or shifting away. Um, I talk about that too because there's a a sense of, you know, what are the patterns that I, you know, for a period of time, some of these patterns were really life-giving for me. And they really connected me to um, people that were really important to me and to experiences that I'm really thankful for having. But over time, I began to notice these same patterns aren't doing the same thing for me. And so then I need to make a shift. Um, so it, it's a very dynamic process as well. It's not like, okay, well, now I've found this, these are the movement patterns and this is the belief system. And this is the community that is going to work, you know, forever and ever. Amen. It's kind of like, there is something that's dynamic and ongoing. And I think particularly in our current moment, there's that sense of like, we need to figure out how to move and respond in new and different ways, in ways that invite a healthy vulnerability or that invite, um, critical inquiry or, or all those kinds of things. So I feel like it's, it um, it's a really useful tool for me in this current moment, for sure.
1: I really appreciate you using the word transformation around this, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's sort of a, a a very popular use of the word deconstruction, I think around Mm. something that you just described, but transformation to me has this more creative angle overall. Mm -hmm. right? It's looking Mm -hmm. at like actually something that's expansive um, and invitational. So anyway, that's a a little side note. I really appreciate you thinking about that as transformation, like the the sort of Mm -hmm. movement that you described through your life.
2: Hmm. Um, Yeah. You feature four
1: different dance companies in your book. And I'm really interested in sort of what drew you to these companies What about them? I'm sure there were others you could have considered and and kind of what was the the sort of grappling point for them? Grasping, Mm -hmm. grappling point for them?
2: Sure. Well, one thing that I was really trying to do was to show a variety and diversity of um, dance practices. So literally the kinds of techniques that people were engaged in, the kinds of move vocabularies uh, that they practiced and the kinds of art that they made but also the different um, experiences across the theological spectrum. And, you know, even looking at different areas in the country, some of it have, ends up being at different generations, because I think particularly in the academy, there's very little research in dance studies about um, Christianity and dance at all. And there is kind of a, um, just a common misconception that christianity doesn't dance and that christianity is anti-dance and anti-body and i mean with with good reason there are certainly those strains but i wanted to complicate that a little bit and show not only does this exist but it actually exists in variety and some of them are even um contradicting each other like they are saying different things about um about what they're doing and, and what they think the purpose of dance is still, I think in a fairly spacious way. I mean, I, none of the groups that I work with said, this is the only way to do it. Um, which I think even that is a shift from, from maybe 10 or 20 years ago. Um, but uh, for example, one of the companies that I look at is ballet Magnificat in Jackson, Mississippi, and they're a very traditional ballet company and also a very conservative evangelical company. And in an interview, unprompted, one of the company members said to me, we are evangelists first and artists second. Evangelism Mm -hmm. is the primary um, goal of our work Mm -hmm. and art is the vehicle for that. And with another interview with Elizabeth Dishman, who's in Brooklyn, she's more of a project-based artist, again, in an interview, unprompted, she said, you know, I'm not an evangelist, I'm an artist. (laughs) <laughs> and so it was just like almost the exact same language you know but but for them it's like they're doing two totally different things but somehow they're also still under the same umbrella mm-hmm. so i i wanted to show how these things were all kind of coexisting on a spectrum and that it's it's complicated and contradictory um and that um yeah that that it's just to to really understand this phenomena you have to dig deeper
1: yeah yeah Thank you so much um, for sharing that. I think it's uh, really interesting to look at all of those kind of broad inclusive spectrums. Um, if you don't want to include this question, you don't have to, but this is not related to your book. But um, I actually experienced some of some of your choreography very, very long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. and I- when you were still a teenager, and you mm-hmm. choreographed um, dances each summer for girls at a camp that we worked at, and I remember that you would teach the girls, you know, throughout the week, and they would present um, at the end of the week. And um, mm-hmm. I, I just one of something that stays with me is watching some girls sing uh, perform um, a small ballet to. Um, a song that i cannot remember the name of but the words are something along those lines like i don't want to walk through heaven's door without and not see your face and there were these girls Mm -hmm. just choreographed really beautifully and at the end of the summer you may recall at that camp we brought in girls who um typically lived in housing projects and you know were kind of marginalized in different ways and at the end of the summer, I'd seen the dance, right? But those girls were performing it, and I remember watching those girls perform this piece, and I broke into tears. And it's still a very like emotionally moving um, mm. moment that I can find in my imagination and in my heart. And so I wanted to bring this up. If you're interested to talk about it, we don't have to give the whole backstory, but you know, having seen some of what you do, like. And that was when you were really early in movement. Like it seems that you are able to really connect with deep feelings and express Mm -hmm. them through your choreography. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know, like, and and that in that it was sort of like the feeling and the yearning part of faith that I saw in the choreography that you put together for that dance. Mm -hmm. It's really it touched. Us really deeply and i also feel like especially with that group of girls and kind of knowing the differences in sort of most of our lives and their lives right um mm-hmm. most those were girls of color um that that you were sort of allowing them to express that i'm very interested as a choreographer as a dancer and an artist like is that something that you intentionally set out to do
2: how does that connect with your kind of ethos? Hmm, gosh, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, it's interesting because my early training, I did have some unusual early training um, because I think typically in most studio environments in the US, um, dancers are taught vocabulary and they're taught um, how to perform Mm -hmm. but they're not given a lot of experience with choreography, with learning how to make dances. Hmm. But I was trained in a studio that actually emphasized that. And for our December um, in-studio performance, we would actually choreograph a solo every year. And I started doing that at the age of eight, Wow. Um, which, yeah. And, and, you know, the first ones were like, It was a poster board full of action words and we had to pick like push, pull, melt, slide Mm -hmm. and make a dance. Um, And as as I got older, the dances got more complex. One time we did a mask study and we made a mask and then we made a dance about it. Um, So I think from a very early age, I did have a sense that dancers are makers and dancers are people who are expressing something and that that authority resides in some way within the individual mm. at, as well as in the choreographer. Um, so I think from an early age that that was in there in some way. I don't know that I could have articulated it at that time. As I've gotten older, I have really begun to see dance as a vehicle um, to make meaning together and to create together. So I do a lot of work um, when I work with um, college age students, pre-professional students, but even in community contexts where we start with a question or a prompt of some kind. um, And I try to find something that that has enough juiciness that everyone can connect to it in a different way. Um, And then we kind of devise tasks to make our make phrases and then we put them together and it's it's almost like building a story together Um, but the narrative that comes out of it is much bigger than any one particular statement that I could make Um, and there's just something about that that is always so exciting to me because as a choreographer you cannot make a dance without other people You you know, you could make a solo on yourself, but literally you could dream up this, you know, beautiful thing that you want to do, but that dance only exists in the embodied selves of the people that do it. And if you have one person who is not there, the dance is not the same. Like it is literally manifest in this group of people. And there's something about that that is so, um, like I don't know. It just always excites me and it's, there's a mystery about it. I never get tired of seeing what this group of people will make together. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't know that that was what was in my mind as a 16 year old camp counselor, (laughs) but, um, but you know, and I'm, and I'm really interested in, in, even more so today in drawing out really complicated stories and doing mm. something that really um, is meaningful to the performers too. We, we spend so much of our time behind the scenes, you know, there's the moment on stage, but there's so much that's in the, the making and the rehearsing. And that's kind of where I feel like we're living our lives and I want that part of it to be meaningful as well and I want the dancers to come out of it feeling like wow I was a really significant part of this if I wasn't there it wouldn't have been the same and my particular unique embodied expression is different than anyone else's I did an intergenerational piece a few years ago that had uh, a cast you know I think the oldest person was 65 and the youngest was four Mm. And there's just something, you know, everybody can do the same gesture, but there's something that's going to be really different about the embodied expression of a four-year-old lifting their hand and a 65-year-old lifting their hand. And both of them are breathtaking. Mm. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That was a lot of rambling. I don't know if there's anything (laughs) useful or insightful in there. (laughs) I think it's
1: all really fascinating. I mean, we could probably talk for a long time about embodiment and the creative process and transformation and I, i'd love to hear your thoughts on on that like i mean how maybe and even if that's related to any of what you studied for this book you know um how mm-hmm. embodiment maybe you know not only does the sort of transformational expression that we talked about but is there something more to embodiment um that
2: dance can teach us mm. i mean i think Mm, that's such an interesting question I think that um what dance teaches me about embodiment is it's just a heightened form of attention Mm -hmm. and it, it it heightens my attention to the fragility and vulnerability of the body as well as the strength and kind of um amazing virtuosity of the body it heightens my attention to time and really in a in a way like it reminds me of you know uh our uh, finiteness too. Like it reminds me of the human condition that this body is always changing and that this body also has a limited amount of time. But at the same time, the movements that I make reverberate. Um, Hmm. I keep sharing different choreographies, but I I did a piece after my father died. Um, I was trying not to make a piece about my dad's death (laughs) because I didn't want, it just felt like I wasn't, didn't know how to do that, and, but I just couldn't help. That's what I was processing through. And part of the work ended up being sharing images with my cast of, um, of childhood memories, of pictures of me and my sibling, different vignettes. And, and then we would, they brought some of theirs in and then we created these um, movement vignettes based on this. And none of these students had met my dad and, and didn't really know anything about them, but they heard about him through me and they, they then embodied in some way and carried on in some way, um, the spirit that my dad passed on to me. And it was this really, um, powerful, like reverberation of how my father was in some way still inhabiting and living through the spirit of these stories, wow. um, through people that had never met him. So it's like, it, it gives me that that's, that's what dance does for me. It's just like a heightened embodied attention that feels both very finite and precious, but also somehow infinite at the same time. I don't know. It's a paradox.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Um, so as you set about to do this very different kind of creating, so in choreography, we've talked a lot about your process. How, what was your process like with trying to create this book? Um, Mm. what was similar? What was different? What, did anything feel like sort of a foreign language or were there translatable sort of creative Mm. processes and principles you could bring?
2: I mean, I think one big contrast is that writing the book was fairly solitary. Mm. Um, I certainly had, you know, when I was doing my field work and my interviews, things like that, um, I was doing a lot of interacting with other people, but, when I got into like really shaping the chapters and, and then into the editing process, which was, um, I found very arduous. Um, that was challenging for me because I, I do think that I am used to creatively like working with a group in some way. Um, so I had to like figure out some of those processes. And I actually even for a period of time hired an editor just to have another person to, um, to keep dialoguing my ideas with.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I did also, I really do like to have kind of a big picture and a physicalization of my work. Having it all in the computer was also really hard, especially as, got, as it got longer. So um, one of the processes that I would do, which actually um, I learned in a, in a graduate writing workshop was reverse outlining, mm. which is printing out your pages And then um, I would actually cut them out into chunks and I would label the different chunks with different themes and words. And then I would spread them all out on the floor or on a table and I would move them around. And so there was this thing of like, I needed to have this kind of like tangible connection and I needed to be able to move them in a way that, Mm. that felt more like I was actually moving my body, moving my arms, you know, peering around versus, just scrolling with my finger on a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and a, a couple of my, um, you know, I offered the chapters where I wrote about each company to the companies to look at, you know, just to saying this is, this is what I'm writing and I'm making it clear. These are my interpretations, but I also want you to um, you know, see what's happening, and if there's a strong pushback, and not everyone took me up on that, but a couple did, and so we then we would have some back and forth, um, and I ended up doing some more interviews, and um, so that that element did start to feel creative and collaborative because they were like, I don't understand, you know, when you say this, like, oh, that's not how I experience my work, mm-hmm. um, and even some tension there of like, well, it's okay for us to have different meanings from it too. I can. Um, And I can make it really clear that this is my meaning and and this is how I'm reading it through these lenses and that you don't necessarily agree with that or that you even disagree. Um, So trying to hold those voices in there at the same time as well.
1: That's just fascinating that you managed to find a way, even in this, not just to sort of put yourself out as an observer, but rather to sort of bring in these other ensemble members, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's really, really fascinating. So... When you look over your whole book and these elements of your own life and all all of this, and I'm partly leading you on because I know a little bit that you've thought, where where would you like to see this move um, from the pages that it's on now? What are you hoping to see it become?
2: Well, I definitely am hoping that it will be a place for um, additional conversations. In fact, Mm -hmm. the two women that... um, there are chapters where we really did have some dialogues. I'm hoping that in post-pandemic times, we can actually have um, maybe um, uh, an in-person dialogue together or even a danced dialogue, some kind of Mm -hmm. responsive process. Because one of the things that I heard back from both of them, which was also really amazing, was that some of the way that I was able to kind of step back and observe what they were doing also honed their own self-understanding mm. in, a, in a way that they found positive. It's also one of these things where it's like, wow, that feels like a big responsibility that um, somebody would start to, you know, that they would feel like I was then informing how they were understanding what they were doing. So I'm definitely hoping to have some more of those kinds of dialogues. And then um, the other element is that I am trying to think about how this really um, works into my own creative work um the beginning of each chapter has a little autobiographical vignette that's some kind of memory from my own um experience childhood all the way through adulthood and i've thought about trying to create some kind of a longer choreographic work that mm-hmm. is that is really stringing those things together um it's still very much in the nascent stages but um it feels like it's it's part of this ongoing work of transformation for me um And it's interesting what you said before about the contrast between deconstruction and transformation. I hadn't thought about it, but um, I do think there was a period of time where I really was trying to disconnect and divorce myself from some of the aspects of my upbringing that that don't dovetail with how I feel today. But Mm -hmm. I really got to a point where I realized I don't know that that's possible to do because it was making those movements that actually gave me the awareness to make new movements and and I can't really unravel my story and remove those things. Um, and if I did, I would always be kind of like responding to or rejecting or kind Mm -hmm. of like pushing back in a resisting way. And I just felt like I needed to find some way to, um, you know, allow those aspects of my, my life to be there and kind of, just come to terms with them but figure out how to continue to grow them and move them so it does feel like the there's you know this is very much an unfinished process and it feels like something that involves more movement and choreography um, is is the next step but we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> <It's> wonderful <laughs>
1: um as i as you were talking about that um is there a kind of progression or maybe it's just transformation of movement mm-hmm. between these four companies um, in mm-hmm. addition to sort of you described earlier this idea that you know some of them saw themselves as evangelists and then artists some mm-hmm. saw art maybe then evangelism maybe there were other things out there as well but i'm wondering about the actual movement itself and the creation mm-hmm. movement how, how would someone, even maybe who's not a dancer, see these um, different companies and their dance styles um, speaking to transformation in different ways?
2: Mm. Well, the um, so Ballet Magnificat, the traditional ballet company, it, they use a very traditional val- ballet vocabulary and they create a lot of story ballets. Um, mm. So the same kinds of things that you would see with like the Nutcracker or Swan Lake, um, they actually reimagine a lot of um, uh, Bible stories, um, mm-hmm. and often they are reimagined into a different time period. Like they did a story about the Book of Ruth. I believe it was the Book of Ruth that they set in the 1970s in mm-hmm. like a, a you know a communist um, uh, Europe or communist Russia mm-hmm. somehow. Um, And then Audeum, which is a contemporary ballet company in Houston, Texas, they are ballet, but their ballet has a little bit more of a, um, you know, current flavor to it. Mm -hmm. It's still, there's a narrative storyline element, but there's also some abstraction that comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, Elizabeth Dishman um, in Brooklyn and Karen Stevens in Seattle, both of their work is very abstract and much more modern. And there's not really a clear narrative arc mm-hmm. um, involved at all. And they're both younger. They're um, younger than the uh, uh, artistic directors of the other two companies. They're kind of two different generations. So there's also a, a little bit of the, perhaps a generational arc just that traces the way that, Um, contemporary dance history has gone from more literal to more abstract um, Mm -hmm. and then kind of sometimes folding it back in again. Um, But I I think you could, you, uh, um, the the lay person would be able to see a clear delineation from, Mm -hmm. from very literal or more literal to more abstract.
1: It's interesting that even though you're talking about what's more abstract, um, you yourself kind of Wedded these things together with story, right? With your anecdotes Mm -hmm. about your own life. And um, even when I hear you talking about your choreography, there's story there. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really, that's that's fascinating um, to me that Mm -hmm. story and narrative maybe takes these different forms or it's less, I don't know, um, in the dance world, how you would say this, right? But um, Mm -hmm. it, let's take poetry that I might know a bit better as an example, right? Poetry um, had some really specific forms. Like you have sonnets, you have to have iambic pentameter, there's supposed to be, you know, like there's that sort of definition. And then over time we get to where a poem might be these really short, very simple language with profound observation that doesn't have a rhythm that necessarily we would, you know, be able to describe like an iambic pentameter, but there's certainly something about the way the words are put together that would create a rhythm. So there's still something that it's doing that's similar to what was before, but it's its form is very different. With would that be a Mm -hmm. good analogy for what happens within dance? Like there's still story, but it's, it's kind of taking on different forms or opening us up to seeing maybe through a different vocabulary.
2: Yeah, well, so I would say that um, the so when when I'm talking about the literal story ballets, um, some of them even have narration that goes along with them. And there's really one meaning that you can there there's a literal meaning that they want you to get. Mm -hmm. And that's, there's really not much room for interpretation. Mm -hmm. And there are very clear characters there, you know, there's the good guys and the bad guys. It's got a very black and white energy to it. Whereas something more on the abstract end of the spectrum, um, there's still, and I think just because it's human bodies moving, um, we are meaning making beings. And Mm -hmm. I think we can't help but make meaning, but um, there's more space for multiple meanings to exist. And, uh, and even for um, the dancers to have different understandings of what the, what the work is about and what their role in it is compared to the choreographer and the audience. So it creates the space for different kinds of meanings to be made, but absolutely the meaning is still a thread, story is, is still a thread throughout.
1: Hmm. Um, so
2: what did writing feel like in your body? Mm, mm, good question. Um, well, again, my, my mentor, Kimmer, is the one who um, really informs me on this because she talks about the practices of reading and writing as particular practices of bodily attention. Um, and actually, the reason it's hard to think <laughs> of it that way is it's a, it's a practice that where we practice ignoring our body. Mm. (laughs) And um, if you if you think back, I mean, I have a really strong visceral memory of learning to write with a pencil in kindergarten or first grade and really having to try hard to figure out how to fit my fingers around it. And that, you know, my body was wiggling on my chair and I really had to, like, figure out how to focus all my attention on this thing that I was doing and and not pay attention to my body. And so there is this kind of like constant oscillation that happens of, I, I do need to get myself into an environment where there's not a lot of distractions and I really can like get lost in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, some, you know, I'll feel a pain or whatever. I'll have to move around. Or if I'm trying to describe something, uh, some uh, movement in particular, and I can't figure it out, I literally will start waving my arms in the air, like I'll start moving around Mm -hmm. to try to get the feeling of the quality in my body. And then sometimes I can come up with the word or phrase that I need to, to get that out. So it was this kind of interesting process of like, um, you know, I would stand up and sit down. And I was very aware of like, constantly needing to shift around. um, Even as sometimes I also had to be like, okay, you really got to have this pattern of attention happening right now (laughs) but it's but it's still very much um a movement pattern it's still very Mm -hmm. much a bodily orientation towards something yeah that's that's really cool
1: i think you're helping us to think about you know creativity along with our bodies in a way that you know some mediums don't invite us as naturally to as i think dance does which is really Mm -hmm. cool so just thinking a little bit about Vita Poetica and this idea about creative work and a spiritual lens, um, mm. how would you tie together sort of the themes that you it's, you've kind of extracted, particularly in this book, mm-hmm. but it can be broader, um, about the creative work of dance and the spiritual lens, especially of Christianity?
2: Mm. Well, I think there is something really compelling about one of the central claims of Christianity—that is, this um, this incarnation, this this body God, um, yes. this God that it, that you know, an infinite being that inhabits a finite space, um, mm-hmm. and kind of the eminence of God. Um, versus the transcendence of god so there is something really um curious to me about that and it feels like it would make like the body really important (laughs) so i do feel like it is this this kind of like compelling thread um and that maybe a renewed understanding of the body or a shift in understanding of the body could have a lot of positive ripple effects on contemporary Christian um, practices and beliefs. Mm. Um, but, I, but I think just for me personally, um, spirituality is about connection. Um, it's about connecting more deeply to myself. It's about connecting more deeply to the world around me. It's about connecting more deeply to other people. And, and dance has always been a primary vehicle for that, that it, that has always given me that, that knowledge about myself, that connection to myself. It's, it, I guess it's also, it's connecting and knowing. It's also a way to know, um, even when I think I know my body every day, every hour, my body is slightly different and I, you know, and it's changing all the time. So there are always new things to know about it. And it's it changes in relationship to other people. It changes in relationship to the environment. Um, so yeah, it's just always felt like um, a very and it's just the lens that's always there too. You really don't need anything else besides your body to engage with this practice. Hmm. Yeah.
1: That is really beautifully said. And I think we'll give all of us something to, you know, take away to experiment with maybe do you have any recommendations for us if we were going to experiment with um faith and dance and movement and Mm -hmm. you know not all of us have this um amazing history that you do but i would love to know like what would Mm -hmm. you say to us if you were our movement educator? sure
2: sure well so there are two first steps that come to mind one is if you already have a faith practice or a faith community that you're a part of, to just start to pay attention to what are the movement patterns that I engage in as a part of this practice. From really simple things of what is it like to walk in the door, um, you know, sitting and standing. What kinds of textures? What kinds of um, images, colors? What are what's the sensory information that you get from that experience? Um, You know, is there a rhythm to it? Is there, um, you know, something that kind of goes to a crescendo and then comes down and just begin to notice those patterns. And then are there ways that you could amplify them? I think, you know, for me, it is a powerful moment um, to step into a sanctuary and even just a moment of pause in that transition, stepping Mm -hmm. over that threshold is a way to draw your attention to it more fully. Um, so that would be one suggestion to notice in the patterns that you're already doing. Another would be to think for yourself about what does the experience of the sacred or, um, or spirituality or the divine, what does that feel like to you? Um, are there particular contexts or, um, places or people, um, are there smells or sounds, um, you know, sometimes um, being in nature can be a very spiritual experience. And so maybe it's like looking, you know, out over a vista. Um, And so that can be another way to think about um, how am I bringing a sense of the sacred and spirituality to other movement practices that I have um, that are maybe like taking a walk or something like that, or listening to music. Um, But But those can also be a part of your spiritual practice, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like moving, you know, from one direction or the other, Mm. um, but thinking about the body in both ways. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think that's really rich and um, will be a great way for a lot of us to kind of invite this part of um, practicing, you know, creativity and spirituality together. Well, Emily, where can people find you and find out more about what you're doing? And do you have anything going on that um, you want to let us know about that people could join in with?
2: Sure. So I have a website, the Emily Wright um, W-R-I-G-H-T. And um, you can see uh, links to choreography that I've made in the past. I have a blog on there with different... Um, I try to do... Um, writing reflections on the seasons. The seasons have been really important to me lately um, with um, invitations for movement or prompts there. And then I also teach a, um, a class called Movement Medicine that um, blends yoga and dance and contemplation. Um, and that class is offered online and in person. So if people wanna um, drop in for a class and check it out, um, It's a community that I started during the pandemic and has just continued to grow. It's been really nice. Um, So I offer those classes usually um, once a week throughout the um, summer, fall, spring, winter. So um, that's what I've got going right now. And I guess you can sign up for my newsletter as well on my website and, and then get more updates on things that I offer in the future.
1: I hope a lot of people join you. I will say I've joined maybe twice on the movement medicine, and it was always um, just a really amazing experience for me. So thank you so much for all that you're doing um, to kind of put your artistic self out in the world, but also to, to share it with so many other people, um, whether by inviting them to create alongside you or just you know leave it out there for us to, to experience like you have in this book. Um, and your book is out. And it can be ordered at Intellect um, Press, is that right? Mm -hmm. And uh, could you wanna let us know the sort of release dates around
2: that? Well, it came out um, over the summer, but then there were some printing issues. So it is out now and you can actually, um, I have a link to it on my website as well. If you're in the US because it's a UK publisher, it actually will send you to um, University of Chicago Press. That's the US affiliate. So you would then purchase it through University of Chicago Press if you're in the U.S.
1: Thank you so much. I know that's going to be really helpful for people looking to read your book. So we really appreciate it. Thanks.
0: That was our interviews editor, Emily Chambers-Sharp, speaking with dancer Emily Wright. You can find a transcript of the interview on our website in the Autumn 2021 issue, which I've also linked to in our episode notes. You can learn more about Vita Poetica at the website in our podcast description, www.vitapoetica.org, where you can find details on submitting to the journal and other ways to get involved. Thanks for listening, and more soon.